Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring new good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and, open, and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks, foreigners shall be your plowmen, and vine dressers, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord will cause, right, cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Amen, right? All right, you can be seated. As we think about God's word, it's important for us to, uh, to read it, to listen to it. In fact, I fully believe Isaiah 50 511, which says that uh, God's word's not going to go out without accomplishing that which he desires. And so when we read God's word, when we listen to God's word, we need to realize that's the most valuable thing that we have in terms of God's understanding, in terms of our thoughts beginning to line up with God's thoughts. And so this morning we're going to be thinking about uh, a key issue that Isaiah brings up in Isaiah 61, I, as I tried to figure out what's the main idea, there's so much richness in this chapter. The thing that kept jumping out at me was something we, we actually sang about in the first song, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. Beauty for ashes. We sung, sang about that in the first song. You think about that beauty for ashes. There are times when ashes consume our lives and yet God has something greater in store. I was thinking about, you know, as I think obviously this time every year, about my mom. She's been gone about five years now. And, I've, and I was, as I was thinking about that even in this passage in, in regard to that, I was thinking about how my mom uh, was born into a wealthy family. Her parents had um, owned a hotel, owned a, a car dealership, owned a restaurant, uh, they were wet, very well off. They were, back, they were in West Virginia. And then uh, uh, there was a lot of things that went wrong. I mean, my mom was born in 1929. 
You remember what happened that year, the Great Depression. And so the Great Depression occurred. And uh, right before she was born, a brother died that, uh, a month before she was born. Uh, 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 her older brother died. A lot of grief for their parents. And, and, and then she uh, uh, was, uh, her parents divorced in a day when that didn't happen much, when she was about first grade. They left this time of wealth, this time of abundance uh, to uh, West Texas in Pampa, Texas. And now she was being raised by a single mom. She went from wealth to poverty. They were living in a two-room house, not two-bedroom, two rooms. And one was the kitchen and the other was, was the one they slept in. She had three sets of clothes and one she wore only on Sundays. They had an outhouse, no running water in the house. And she went from being, you know, having a mom at home all the time to a mom that worked all the time. She was one of the early latchkey kids. And that she uh, was uh, uh, responsible really for her brother and sister when her mom wasn't there. And uh, a lot of things I learned and began to realize as, as I took care of her in her later years. And uh, one of the things that I realized is how God took her life from that moment and those hard times to where she had four kids and married, you know, after marrying my dad. And, and, uh, uh, and, I, and I think about even to this day, I think the reason this church is here is because of my mom. Beauty for ashes, right? Ashes of a life that seemingly struggled and yet God did something really beautiful out of it. And really beautiful out of, out of allowing me to be her son and allowing me to be influenced by her and to see the joy uh, that, that occurs and, and happens as a result of, of God's working, of God's doing. And I, and I just am so moved by that as I think about this picture here of this beautiful headdress instead of ashes. And this picture, when you look at this, this uh, chapter, it's the 22nd sermon that Isaiah preached out of 27 in, the, in chapters 40 to 66. And here he gives this beautiful start, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Now the question is, who is this me that he's talking about, right? Jesus actually reads this passage in a synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown. He reads, the spirit of the Lord of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. And everybody's standing, just like we did, to bring good news to the poor. And I think he means poor in spirit, not, not physically poor because it's good news, not money or not something else. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year for the Lord, of the Lord's favor. He read those words. He stopped before it says, and the day of vengeance in our God. He didn't go there because that wasn't his purpose in coming. And then he sat down. And they would normally read the word of God. They would all stand together. And then he would sit down on this chair that was called the Moses seat. And that's where they would teach. So they would teach sitting down instead of standing up like we do in our day. And everybody looked at him and he said, these words have been fulfilled in your hearing. Boom. Wow. Can you imagine saying that after reading those words? 
What was Jesus saying? I am the me that it's talking about. I am the one who's been anointed to bring the good news, to proclaim liberty, to proclaim the year of God's favor. You go, whoa. I mean, Jesus was saying, I'm the Messiah who was to come. I'm the suffering servant. There are four suffering servant psalms, or, or chapters in the book of Isaiah. There's Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 50, Isaiah 53, the most powerful one. And this one is seen by some as the fifth one. Some do not see it as the fifth one. I think because of Jesus, they, they say, well, no, this was, this was Isaiah speaking about himself, or this was the uh, nation of Israel talking about the nation being this, uh, this one that the Spirit of the Lord has come upon. But because Jesus quoted it about himself, guess what? I'm taking that interpretation, that this is about Jesus. He said, this is about me. So when you see that and you go back and read these words, the Spirit of the Lord God, Adonai Yahweh, is what the literal Hebrew is, is upon me, the suffering servant, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The Trinity's right there. Now, the Old Testament doesn't teach the Trinity, but it begins to get us ready for the Trinity. It begins to teach us about, about God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. And you begin to, you see it right here in this one verse. And he says, the Lord has anointed me, which means to be set apart, to be authorized to do something significant. And then you see six times where he uses the little preposition to, to bring, to proclaim, to proclaim again, to comfort, to grant, and to give. Six things. To bring good news to the poor, poor in spirit. What is that good news? Well, we see in verse 8, says, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. So this picture of this new covenant, this picture of this covenant with the children of Israel, this covenant with those who are poor in spirit. And I, and I was reminded of the Sermon on the Mount. There are a couple of phrases in here that reminds us of that. This is one of those. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see the kingdom of God, right? And here he says, bring Good news to the poor. Why? What is that good news? An everlasting covenant. It's the kingdom of God. Later, you see, in, uh, when he says, to comfort all those who mourn, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I think, wow, I think before Jesus preached that sermon on the mount, he must have been having his times with the Lord out of Isaiah 61. To bring good news. His purpose was to bring good news. What is that good news? It's of an everlasting uh, uh, covenant, this covenant that was in Jeremiah 31, 31, this new covenant which God made with both the houses of Israel and the house of Judea. And this new covenant was, was the covenant that Jesus celebrated with his disciples when he held up the third cup, the cup of redemption, and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. It's that which we celebrate, not only remembering Jesus, but why he came, and that was this new covenant for us, for you and for me, that those who believe in Christ will have eternal life because of the shed blood of Christ. This good news to the poor in spirit. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And I started thinking about these different phrases he's using here, the poor in spirit or the poor, brokenhearted, captives, those who are bound, verse 2, 
uh, or verse um, three, he says, uh, beauty instead of ashes, gladness instead of mourning, praise instead of a faint spirit. All these different things that are all negative, brokenheartedness, captive, being captive, being bound, being, having ashes and mourning and faint spirit. And I was thinking, wow, this whole passage is saying, I am taking something that's broken and I'm making something precious and new. And it's going to bring great joy and rejoicing in your life. And so as I, as I looked at this passage, I realized that's the focus. His focus is, is I'm going to take something broken and I'm going to restore it. What was he dealing with? He was talking to people that were getting ready. It was about 100 years before the Babylonian captivity. The Assyrians had already come and taken the northern kingdom. And, and he talks about that in, in the historical section in chapters 36 to 39. He says, Babylon's coming and they're going to take everything and they're going to deport you. He says, but don't be alarmed because God's going to do something special. He's going to take those ashes of your life, the ashes of your nation, and he's going to make something special. He's going to pro proclaim liberty to the captives, it says in verse 1. And I'm, thought, I'm, mind, I'm reminded of Jesus' words, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So is he talking about Literal captives, I think he is. I think he's captive to Babylon, but I think there's more than that. I think it's being captive by sin. Being captive to that whole thing of sin and death. It's what uh, Paul says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of sin and death. It's the law of sin and death God has set us free from. And so this idea here, this I'm proclaiming liberty to the captive, it's more than just what he's, what he's referring to in terms of Babylon and Assyria. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, his favor, his grace, his mercy towards us. To comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, so Jerusalem, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, I've laid up a crown of righteousness. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. So this beautiful headdress, this crown of righteousness that God has for us. He's, and, and notice it says give. One, it says to bring and to proclaim in the first three. And then comfort. But then he gives to grant and to give. He wants to give you something. He wants to give us something. He wants to give us a crown of life. This oil of gladness. Instead of mourning, that idea of oil looks back to that word anointed because that's what they used to anoint people. They anointed, Jesus was anointed by the, by the woman when his feet were anointed. And, and, and here, this oil of gladness, what is he saying here? I believe that he's saying to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. Is God going to give the Spirit of God to believers? Because the Spirit of God is upon me. He says in verse 1, and then this idea of oil of gladness, is that a reference to the Spirit of God? I think it may be, it could be. That was something that's different in the New Testament than the Old. In the Old Testament, 
The only people that received the Spirit were, were specially chosen people like the king of Israel or like a prophet or, or something else. Not every believer had the Spirit of God. In Ephesians chapter 1, we have that at the moment you believe, you're sealed with the Spirit of promise who you have until the day of redemption. Saul was worried about losing the Spirit. In fact, did lose the Spirit. David in Psalm 51 says, please don't take your Spirit from me. We don't have to pray that in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. We've been given the Spirit until the day of redemption. We're going to have the Spirit our whole lives. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. The garment of praise, that's our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. In Nehemiah, it says that, Nehemiah 8. And I was thinking, this garment of praise that God has provided for us, this praise, this joy that he has for us, even in the midst of ashes, even in the midst of hard times. He has something better. He has something he desires for us to enjoy. It says that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now it's interesting that he, he starts out in this psalm, he talks about me, and then he changes the pronoun to they and you. And then he ends the, song, uh, uh, the, the sermon in, in verse 10 and following with me again. This idea of uh, is he bookending and it's talking about the Messiah. And at the end, Messiah, I don't know because he's clothed me with the garments of salvation. And that would, I think it's us. And so you here have that they may be called oaks of righteousness. He goes from this fainting spirit to oaks of righteousness. It's not a squash of righteousness. Not even a flower of righteousness, but oaks. So what is he looking at? He's looking at strength, that we will have strength in, in regard to righteousness. And this righteousness is something that we see in verse 10. It says, he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. And then at the end, so that the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. And so this righteousness goes beyond just Israel. It goes into the nations. And in fact, we see this idea of the nations mentioned several times through the passage, passage in verse 5. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen. And then it says in verse 6, you shall eat the wealth of nations. And so this idea of and verse 9, the offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. And so this idea of the nations that, that the Messiah has come for all peoples, of, uh, uh, that's, that's the picture that we have here. And what he desires to give us is not only beauty and gladness and praise, but that we'll be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, not our planting, not you know, when you think about a person's life, it's God who does all the work. It's not us who does anything. We're just used by him. He's, he, we are a tool in his hands, and he's the one that gets the credit. He's the one whose name is glorified because we're a planting of the Lord. Then it goes on and says, They shall build up the ancient ruins, verse 4. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities. I think it's specifically talking about rest restoration from the time of Babylon. And so there's that picture of the beauty for ashes here as a nation where they are going to be restored. They're going to be replaced into the nation uh, where they formerly were. 
And this, this, re, this replacement, this being back there, is going to be a time where the stranger shall stand and tend your flocks, foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. The nations are going to be gathered. The nations are going to want to do anything and everything, the Gentiles, to be a part of this beautiful thing that God is doing. And we see in Acts chapter 15 how at that point the, the, the disciples are wrestling with, are the Gentiles supposed to be included in the church too or is it just a Jewish thing? I mean, that's really their question in Acts chapter 15. And, and their answer is, no, they're supposed to be included because they received the Spirit just like we did, didn't they? And it's like, oh yeah. And so God intended for them to be included. And here in Isaiah, already talking about it. And you see Jesus saying, make disciples of all nations in Matthew 28. And you realize this idea of the nations being included was always part of the package. So many people say, well, the Jews are the chosen people by God. But it's like, no, but they don't understand that the whole purpose of them being chosen was to be an example and to draw the nations to the Lord. That's why Jesus said when he, when he threw the money changers out of the temple, he said, this is to be a place of prayer for all nations. It's for the world to come. It's for the world to come to God. That was their purpose, to be the evangelist of the world and so that God's name would be glorified in all the earth and so that people would be drawn to him. And so when we go through difficult times, knowing God has a greater purpose, it's not something small like we might imagine. It's not that God just is angry with us or there's just something about us he doesn't like. We go through hard times, we go through difficult times, and, the, and Paul tells us in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, or 2 Corinthians 1, that the purpose of that is so that we'll learn to trust the Lord more. So that we'll learn to trust him and, and to rely on him and that his name will be glorified. Then he talks about Israel and I think this is why there's this picture. Well, you shall be called priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. They were supposed to be the ministers of the world. They were supposed to be the priests for the world. And Peter, Peter picks up on this idea in 2 Peter 1 and says that, that we're a holy nation. We're a royal priesthood. Talking about believers in Christ. Offer up spiritual sacrifices, not the physical sacrifices that were required in the Old Testament. Spiritual sacrifices and spiritual sacrifices of praise and giving and, 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 and reaching out to those around us. Loving our neighbor. All those different things that, that we're offering to the Lord Spiritual sacrifices. He said, instead of your shame, there shall be double portion. Instead of dishonor, there shall be rejoicing in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have an everlasting joy. This idea of this double portion is, was the portion of the firstborn. The firstborn was to be offered this uh, or, or to be given a double portion. And so every firstborn being born in a family meant you got, you divided up, you know, if you had four kids in the family, you divided it by five and a double portion went to the firstborn. That was just the way it was set up. That's just the way it worked. And he says, this is the way it is for Israel, that there's, there's not going to be shame anymore. There's not going to be dishonor, this shame and dishonor that you had by being uh, uh, led into um, uh, captivity. But there's going to be 
a double portion. There's going to be joy. There's going to be an everlasting joy. Somehow it impacts all of eternity. We think of our lives as only impacting this life and we don't realize, no, our lives impact eternity. When I think about my own mom, how she went through this difficult time uh, at the beginning of her life and yet some of the fruit of her life has been born through what she did in my life and what she did in my brothers and sisters' lives and the people that they've impacted and there's eternal impact, people coming to Christ because of my mom. I was so blessed to have the mom that I had with the struggles that she had. Did it impact her? Yeah, even in the later parts of her life. There were things that, that I didn't realize were fears of hers. One simple fear that she had was that she um, was afraid of storms. And I, I assume that she probably wasn't at home uh, or her mom wasn't home whenever there were storms. And so she would take the other kids and I don't know if she hit them somewhere or what she did. In a two-room house, there's not many places to go. But when she was older, I remember looking in a closet one time and seeing, you know, some snacks and some water. And I said, Mom, what's this for? And she said, oh, you know, when, it, you know, when I get afraid or whatever, you know, I'll go in there. I was like, really? And whenever she, I moved her to Mansfield and she was staying in Watercrest, uh, I, I found the recliner in the bathroom. And after every storm, everything was always unplugged. You know, in fact, I, would, I remember trying to plug in her TV because she said, my TV doesn't work. So I went over and I, I said, well, the plug, where's the plug? Oh, it's in that drawer. So I pull it out and I plug it in, right? Still doesn't work. Well, where's the cable? Oh, it's over here. And, and she'd, she had un, undone, done a lot of stuff. You know, because she was worried about electronics and all that. I get that. But the recliner, what's the recliner doing in the bathroom, Mom? Oh, well, you know, we had that storm the other night. Here in her 80s, she was pulling a recliner into the bathroom because she was afraid. Some things that she struggled with. And, I, and so one, I remember one night that my, my wife, uh, you know, it was 3 in the morning. There was a storm. It woke us up. And she said, why don't you call your mom? I thought, she's asleep, you know. She, I'll, I'll wake her up. And he goes, no, she's not asleep, I guarantee you. Sure enough, I call her, she's awake. And so I talked to my mom for about 30 minutes till the storm blows over and, and just reminded her of some of the things that she told me when I was a kid, you know, and, and, uh, and just enjoyed that conversation. And so then after that, every time there was a storm and it woke me up, I called her. And so these days now when there's a storm, I miss not being able to call her. I think about her when I wake up in the storm and I think, what a blessing that she was, even with all the fears that she had, with all the weaknesses that she had, yet God used her significantly in my life. And because of what she did in my life, it made me ready to receive the gospel whenever I went to the University of Texas. And then how God has used my life in other people's lives. And I think it's all because of my mom. It's not because of me, and it's really because of God, because he's the one who gives. He is a giving God who gives to us, even in the broken times, even in the rough times, even in the hard times. And I praise God for that, that even though we have a brokenness in us, God likes to take broken things, and he, he does something. He doesn't just fix them. He doesn't just make them, okay, you know, where you glue it together or whatever, now it's going to work again. He makes it even better. 
He makes it more glorious, more beautiful than you could ever imagine. He's doing that in your life right now. I don't know what it is that you may be going through, what your fears may be, what your struggles may be, but God is doing something very special. Of that I'm convinced because he's a God who gives. He's a God who, who loves to give to his children. And in fact, in verse 9, it says, their offspring shall be known among the nations. That's, that's talking about being children of God. They are an offspring uh, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. And because of that, in verse 10, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. We had garments of praise. Now we have garments of salvation leading to sanctification. He's covered me with the robe of righteousness. So that idea of salvation and sanctification of coming to Christ and growing in Christ is a great picture there. And then he uses these five beautiful pictures as a bridegroom, as a priest, as a bride, as the earth, as a garden. And the garden, I was thinking about it, it doesn't happen right away. You plant it and it kind of sits there, right? And the water comes, the rain's coming pretty soon, and all of a sudden you go back and something's growing or something's producing fruit or whatever. And it, and it says, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. It's God's desire to bring rejoicing in our heart. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. He is blessed and I will greatly rejoice. He has taken ashes and made beauty. He has taken a fainting spirit and made it a garment of praise. He's taken my mourning and made it gladness. And God loves to do that in our lives. There's a story that my wife posted recently some of you may have read it really touched my heart about a missionary couple in 1921 who went to Sweden or they were in Sweden and they went to Africa to do missionary work here this uh, husband and wife uh, they went to uh, Central Africa in a place that was then called the Belgian Congo it's not called that anymore Republic of Congo, it's been broken up into several different places to a place called Indola. And there was another couple that they met there, uh, and, and this, these two couples were, were doing missionary work together, and, and, and then malaria made its rounds among them, and the other couple said, we just can't do this anymore, and they laughed. And so this couple, uh, uh, David and, and Svi uh, Flood, were both... Uh, uh, in this place by themselves. They said, we're going to stick it out. We're going to see what God's going to do. There was a little village nearby and the chief of this village didn't want any of the people of that village to talk to this missionary couple. And so nobody would talk to them. So here they are. They've gone through this bout of malaria and nobody's talking to them, right? And then one little boy, though, would bring them fish and sell them fish. And so Svi flood led this little boy to Christ later she gave birth to a to a daughter Aina but she died after giving birth David her husband got completely disillusioned at that point after the malaria after losing his wife he ended up giving up this newborn daughter to another missionary couple because he said I can't raise her and he left. He was angry at God. He feels like God took everything away from him. And he went back to Sweden. This little girl, Aina, the couple that they gave him to, they actually died also. And then a missionary couple from America adopted her. And, and she uh, came to America and, and she grew up. 
She married a godly man and he became the president of a Bible college. She had a couple of children of her own. And then one day, for some reason, she got this magazine and it was all in Swedish, but there was a picture of a grave, Svi Flood, because she had been buried back in Africa. The husband had buried her and then just left in kind of a crude grave. It wasn't a fancy thing. Just put some rocks around it and a white cross. And she saw that and had all this writing. And so she, being part of a uh, university, she took that, that uh, magazine and took it to somebody and had them translate it. And they had somebody that could translate it. And so they translated this article for her. And so she got the opportunity later to go to Sweden and to meet her birth father. And she, all she'd said was at the beginning, and in fact, when she went, he had a new, another family by that time. He had remarried, he had four kids, but he wanted nothing to do with God, didn't want the name of God mentioned in his home. And she goes in and he recognized who she was. He says, Aina. She had been going by another name, Aggie, uh, because of her American parents gave her that name. And, and he said, Aina, her birth name. And she said, I just want you to know that God took care of me. And the minute she said that, he turned his face to the wall. He said, I don't want anything to do with God. And she says, no, you need to, you need to hear me out. Strong, godly woman. Wasn't going to give up. And she said, that little boy that sold us the fishes, that came to Christ, he led his whole village to Christ. The chief who didn't let him come in and everybody else led him to Christ. It wasn't in vain. And, and, and she began to talk to him about the Lord and she, he finally turned back around and, and she had some wonderful conversations with him and he, he came back to the Lord. A few years later, she went to a Bible conference in London and this man was speaking, and he was speaking in perfect French. And he had this uh, story, and he began to tell this story about how God, and he was a, he was a leader in his nation among, among the churches. And he, wanted, he told about how 110,000 Christians had come, or people had come to Christ in his part of the uh, country, and he was, he was in the area of, of the Congo. So she goes up after to talk to him. It says, do you know Svi Flood, that name? He says, yes. She was the one who led me to Christ. I was that little boy. I think of what a beautiful heritage that young woman had in her mom who ended up giving her life so that others could live. She gave her life, and her life, in a sense, became ashes, but great beauty came from it. Overwhelming beauty comes from it. Sometimes we don't understand what God is doing in our lives, and we think everything's terrible, and it's not. God's doing something special for you and for me. And I think what a beautiful heritage she had in a mom who gave her life 
for 110,000. I think about my mom who, who lived her life and gave birth to me and just the opportunities that I've had to, to, to touch other people and, and not saying anything about, how, about me but about my mom. How God used her life. And in, in the case of Sphee Flood, she didn't get to see any of that fruit in her lifetime. It happened all after. What does God want to do with you? I don't know where you are today, but he wants to take your life and he wants to do something incredible with it. And it starts with responding to the good news that, that Jesus gave for us, that he died in our place. It starts with the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to those who are poor in spirit to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, set us free, those who are captive, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is the answer. He's the one who gives us beauty in the place of the ashes of our lives. Let him do that for you. I don't know where you are today. Let him do that in your life. Come to him. Come close to him. Spend time in his word. Because it's his word that gives us understanding into who he is. They search the scriptures because in them they think they have life. It is these that tell of me, Jesus said. When you read the Bible, look for Jesus. Because he has something incredible for us. Father, we come to you today and we thank you for your incredible love. We thank you for this amazing sermon by Isaiah. How Isaiah prophesied of Jesus coming and what he was going to do. And, and he did those things when Jesus came. He did exactly those things. He proclaimed liberty to the captives. He proclaimed freedom. He proclaimed an everlasting covenant, everlasting joy. And he wants us to enjoy and rejoice in you. He has something that's going to make us incredibly excited about our God. Lord, I pray that you would help us to think your thoughts not our thoughts. Our thoughts are usually pretty lowly, kind of negative, focused on what we don't have. Let us have your thoughts, Lord, of not lowly, but children of God, oaks of righteousness, beauty for ashes. Help those to be our thoughts, Lord. Help our thoughts to be focused on, on Jesus and him crucified and what he, he's done for us. Yeah, he, he was crucified, but he rose from the grave. He's alive and he wants us to enjoy the resurrection, resurrected life. To live in the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would help us. I pray for those who may be here today and may be struggling a little bit with who they think they are. Lord, I pray that they would get a grip on who you believe that them to be. That we would, we would understand who you've caused us to be, who you've created us to be, and not who we think we are. 
because you have something amazing for us. May we live in your grace, in your favor, in your joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.